Welcome to the podcast channel of the East Bay Unity Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. The opinions expressed here are those of individual members and do not represent OA as a whole. For more information about our intergroup, please visit our website at eastbayoa.org. Also here, and I am from Los Angeles. Um, I've spoken a couple of times in the Bay, and uh, my number keeps getting passed around. So I'm doing a little tour of the Bay here. Um, thank you, Zoom, for making this possible. Uh, because without Zoom, there would be no way I would be in a meeting in San Francisco unless I was up here visiting. So I'm grateful for this technology, um, especially in this time. Um, you know, I don't know what I, I don't know what. Yeah, I guess we would be just on regular phone meetings if it wasn't for this virtual format. So. I'm grateful this technology exists. Um, so yeah, my name is Ori. I'm a compulsive overeater, and uh, my top weight was 485 pounds. Um, I'm currently down um, just over 245 pounds, and I've worked all the steps. I have a sponsor. I sponsor, and as a result of recovery in this program. I found another program where I just completed a four-step, and uh, and I just celebrated four years of uh, food sobriety on uh, July 14th, which is the French Independence Day or Bastille Day, and uh, yeah, so I'm 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 really in it. I'm in the middle of the herd, and uh, that's where I need to be. I need to be at the center of this program. Um, For a long time in my history, I was on the perimeter. And I always heard about being in the middle of the herd, but I I didn't want any parts of that. Um, For a long time, I always felt like I had one foot in and one foot out of program. Um, And I begrudgingly um, came here. Um, Because, you know, character building and developing a relationship with God was not on my list of um, life goals. Uh, I came to this program uh, not by certain, you know, circumstances drove me to this program and not virtually. And the circumstances that brought me here uh, to OA, um, you know, like I said, you know, being 485 pounds is a painful existence. Physically, if you've never experienced that much weight, it's physically painful just to do simple things, um, just to walk, uh, to wash dishes, to groom, um, hygiene, everything is physically painful. But not only that, there's also the mental torture of the addiction and how it warped my mind. And, you know, in a doctor's opinion, it talks about um, our overeating life becomes the like that becomes normal for us, and that's what happened. Every day of my life had become about me living to eat, and I'm a real compulsive overeater in the sense that once the physical phenomenon is active and the obsession is kicked in full bore, all I can do is eat. That is my life. It becomes my life. And I'm not a functioning compulsive overeater. Um, 
I've gotten to the point where I have had to take multiple leaves of absences from work. Um, I've gone into treatment several times. Um, I've gained and lost hundreds of pounds. And absent of a spiritual solution, there is no hope for me. There is no hope for me. I thought about doing gastric bypass, but I didn't have the, I don't know, I didn't have the courage um, to go through with that surgery. And also I knew, you know, I knew, I, I know that they are, that I know of people even in my family that have had the surgery and they didn't solve the problem. And a matter of fact, I know several people who ate through the gastric bypass surgery and gained weight even having their, their insides reworked. Like this is a killer for me. I've seen in my men's group down here in LA, um, I've seen guys die because of compulsive overeating. They could not get what has been freely given to me. And you know, that's a sad reality, but it's so true. What I, what I have, what I'm experiencing right now, the freedom that I have when it comes to food, the freedom that I have in living um, as a result of working in step and developing um, a relationship with a power greater than me, um, you know, they didn't get that gift. And this is a precious gift. And every day I get a chance to protect it. I get a chance to enlarge on my spiritual life and go deeper and, you know, and find that God. Where is God? And find that power. And I'm at a point in my life right now where that power has to be real. That power has to be real. You know, in the first step, it talks about powerlessness over our addiction, powerless over the food, that our lives have become unmanageable. When I, when I think of unmanageability, it's not just the food that's the issue. For some reason, I have an issue with processing reality. And the way that I process reality makes life unmanageable. I can't manage my thinking. I can't manage my emotions. And that impacts how I manage in, in life. Um, and, you know, I look at the we agnostics. And this is one of my favorite chapters. This is a good segue to, you know, something that I picked out for reading. I always like to read portions of the big book and apply it to my life today. Um, that's something that's really important for me. Staying, keeping, my, keeping my nose in this book and seeing how it applies to me today. And it still reveals itself. The truth that's within this book, the message within this book continues to reveal itself as I continue to work through it and work with others through it. And on page 52, it talks about um, we had to ask ourselves, while we shouldn't apply to our human problems, this same readiness to change our point of view. We were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were a prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. Was not a basic solution of these bedevilments more important than whether we should see newsreels of lunar flight? Of course it was. Like when I read that, it has nothing to do with food. It has nothing to do with food. It's not talking about the, the actual physical addiction. It's talking about the unmanageability of all my affairs. And that's how unmanageability shows up. And just because I have four years clean 
off of compulsive overeating doesn't mean that I'm, uh, you know, that I still don't deal with the unmanageability. You know, I had to go to another program to learn how to do relationships because something that I discovered is that I'm love avoiding. I avoid people. I like to be in my bubble. I don't know how to connect with people. Um, it's not natural to me. You know, and I like to keep the world at a distance. So when it talks about having trouble forming relationships, that's so that's, that applies to me today. When it talks about misery and depression, I'm prone to misery and depression too. When I start to get into that thinking, when I allow my think, when my thinking starts to get away from me, that's where I want to go. I want to go to the misery and depression. It's, 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 you know, still to this day, it's easier for me to wallow in misery and depression than to be in a place of gratitude, to be in a place full of, of, of uh, being gracious of spirit. You know, it's easy, it's easier for me to be intolerant and not tolerant of others' ideas. It talks about love and tolerance is our code. That, you know, that, that's the ultimate evolution for me. And that takes work. That's going to be continuous work for me because love and tolerance is not something that comes to me naturally. And these bedevilments, you know, by the grace of God, like I know that it's changing. It's changing. I'm getting better every day that I continue to abstain and continue to practice these principles. It's more than just about the food. But don't, but I'm not going to minimize how important it is to have that physical abstinence, that physical sobriety. I can't have any hope of spiritual evolution or growth and work in this program and connecting to a higher power if I don't have that number one of being sober with the food. And being sober with the food means sound eating or sensible eating. I have that, I have that power and that ability today to eat soundly and sensible. I follow a food plan that's been prescribed by my dietitian. I've lost the, I've lost when it comes to food. I can't make food-based decisions when it comes to exercise and body as well. I've had to surrender that area to my life to a professional because my thinking when it comes to food um, is broken. It's just something I don't have the ability to manage or control. But but following a few simple rules, you know, today I have freedom. I have freedom from the obsession. Going back to page 52 and the bedevilments, we couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. Something that I've discovered about myself recently is like, I just want to have purpose. I just want to be used. I just want to be a part of, I just want to be a part of civilization. I want to be a part of humanity. I want to be a, I want to be a contribution. We were full of fear. You know, I've done, I've done a pretty exhaustive four step. This is the second four step I've done um, in the last four years. And it's pretty exhaustive, exhausted and, um, and thorough. And I still discuss, and there were still fears, fear of rejection. Fear that I'm inadequate, inadequate, inferior. You know, fear of abandonment. Fear of others, others thinking less of me. You know, fear that I'm not good enough. Fear that I'll be discarded, which is the same thing as fear of abandonment. I have these deep, deep core fears that are still present and still drive my thinking in ways. 
and he, he, this, the, these fears contribute to my defective characteristics that shows up in my world. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. This unhappiness, you know, I'm not, I'm more of a brooder, you know, I brood heavy. Um, and I tend to be on the, I tend to have a darker view of reality than others. So this is another area where I don't think happiness is the objective of the steps, but experiencing moments of happiness is something that, that I, I get the opportunity to experience happiness in my life and joy and peace and contentment in my life. There are only moments, those windows, those windows come and they go, right? And that's part of the work. That's a part of the daily work. And the daily work is seeing where selfishness and self-centeredness props up in my behavior, in my thinking today. Seeing where self-seeking, what self-seeking actions am I taking? Seeing how I'm being of contribution. That's part of my nightly review. I look at these things. I look at how I'm showing up every day. Is a, every day is a lesson to see how I'm showing up. Am I being of service? Am I contributing? Am I being loving and tolerant? Like, I have to do these things because it's a part of the treatment. It's not because I want to be, uh, you know, Deepak Chopra or Mahatma Gandhi or, you know, what's the, what's the girl's name? Uh, a Lala or whatever, whatever. You know, I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be a saint here. I do these things because really it boils down to it's a part of the treatment plan. Um, hold on, please. And just like being of service, you know, I love how, you know, the doctor talks about this altruistic movement and giving to another is about, it's, it's a part of the rehabilitation plan. You know, sometimes some, something that I see in program is people think this is optional. Me giving back what I've been so freely given is a part of the rehabilitation plan for me. It's absolutely necessary. If I'm not working with others and giving this thing back, how can I expect to keep it? That's how I keep the lights on. That's how I keep the flow of the spirit working in me and around me. Yes, um, today I was working with a sponsee and we're going through the doctor's opinion. There's nothing that gives me the satisfaction that working with another does. I don't understand why. You know, and, and, and my first instinct is not, is to be all about ore and doing what, I, you know, that's one of my defects too. It's like, I don't want to be inconvenienced. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Well, guess what? That philosophy didn't work out. That philosophy gave, got me to 485 pounds and living in misery, you know. Continuing on page 52, it says, when we saw others solve their problems by a simple reliance upon the spirit of the universe, we had to stop doubting the power of God. Our ideas did not work, but the God idea did. Like, the, you know, we agnostics is such a beautiful chapter because it's like, this is the jumping off point. They're showing me how my reason, my thinking has failed me. You know, and when my thinking fails me, it produces fear. 
So I have to have something beyond my thinking to rely upon. And the big book gives me this concept, this God, this God concept. And I don't know what God is. I really don't. I can't define God for you. The best that I can do is I can, the best that I can do is that is say that God is reality. And reality is, is, is what it, it's, it's life absent of what I make up about it. Like what's the real reality? What is God's will in this life? There's more that I make up and there's what's happening. That's about time, Ari. Thank you. And that's a great ending, you know, because with this program comes down to a spiritual experience, getting in contact with a power greater than me that can not only solve my food problem, but the big book talks about solving all my problems. And that's what I'm chasing. And uh, thank you, Elaine, for um, booking me to speak. And I appreciate you all. Bye-bye.